Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm so ready for 2020 to move on. You know, I used to think it's going to be so cool the year 2020, man. We ought to do all kind of great stuff on 2020. It's going to be, that's perfect vision. I mean, it's just kind of a cool year. And now that we are this far in, I'm like, I have never wanted a year to end so much. It's been an unbelievable year for all of us. And it really, there are things that happened that we never would have imagined. Never would we have imagined. And that's the nature of life. It's what God has taught us. And I don't want this year to be lost. And the lessons especially that God is wanting to do in our life. And what he wants to show us. And it it takes me to a place in the Old Testament that I'm going to actually be speaking from. And it's out out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you have opportunity and you've got your phone or your Bible, you can go there. Um, and if you're streaming, if you're watching this, if you have a, a way to, to look it up, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it really, I'm not going to read all the verses, it's verse 1 through about 30. But it's basically a story of a king who was told that, a king, you've got a problem, you've got three armies marching against you. The men of, of Moab, the men of Ammon, and the men of Mount Seir. And, and those three armies are coming, and they're coming for you. And it was probably one of those days and moments where you go, what do I do? There's no way we can stand against three armies. You ever got news that you thought, I don't know what to do? The day after Mother's Day was a, was a beautiful morning. It started off cool and perfect for a bike ride. And I just jumped on my bike early that morning and took off. Man, I felt so good. And about two miles into the ride, um, I was going up a hill, and I just kind of felt weak. Um, And I felt my heart beating really fast, and I thought to myself, if I can get to the top of that hill, I wasn't about to let that hill win. If I can get to the top of that hill, then I'll pull over and just take a moment and kind of, you know, rest or whatever. That was the last thought I had. The next thing, I just remember just like a dream falling. I'd never passed out before, so I didn't know what passing out. I've always been told it's when things start narrowing in, you know. You got a little warning. I didn't have any warning. And I went out, and man, when I hit the pavement, and I did have a helmet. If I had not had a helmet, I wouldn't be sitting here tonight. I doubt I would have survived it. But I had a helmet. Do not ride your bike without a helmet. It may save your life. When I hit... My arm was tucked up under me, and it was my arm that broke the ribs. And so when I hit the ground, I knew that I was hurt. I knew my side was hurt. I didn't know what else was hurt. I got up, and I'm, I'm my hip. There's people there now. In fact, they were protecting me from traffic, actually, that was coming. And I'm checking my knee, my, my hip, my elbow was cut up. And they said, are you all right, man? I said, I, yeah, I guess. And they said, what happened? I said, I have no idea. Did what, what it looked like. And a lady said, well, it looked like you just were going along and then you just fell. 
And that's why it pretty much describes it then. And, and I said, I, I just, let me call my wife. So I had my phone and I called her and I said, hey, Rachel, I need you to bring the truck. And I, I just, I had a wreck. I don't know what happened. And she got there and we loaded the bike in the back of the truck. And these ribs are killing me. And we get home and, and I got out of the, the truck and I said, let me get the bike out and I'll move it. So I'm reaching over and moving that bike. And every time I'm doing that, I'm feeling ribs moving on this side. And I go in and sit down. And the pain was unbelievable. I twisted. I did one. I did this just to see kind of how. Oh, it may not be that bad. Let me see if I can walk it off. Uh-uh. Everything moved on this side. And I'm like, I can't stand this. I got to go. So she, uh, she took me to Dr. Phillips' emergency room. We got there and, and they said, you know, what happened? I said, well, I was riding and I passed out. And, and I think I've really broken five ribs. And I was worried because I needed to get to the church by, by noon. We had meals and mass. We were going to be handing out food and be taking care of people. And I didn't want to be late. And so I'm thinking, come on, I need to get this. Just give me something for it. I know you can't do anything about broken ribs. Just, in other words, you just got to heal up from them. And they didn't really want to talk about my ribs. They kept saying, well, why did you pass out? I don't know. You ever passed out before? Nope. And so here goes all the tests. And it wasn't long when a guy walked in and he said, David, we found uh, an issue. You've got a heart issue. And it's very obvious to us that you have an aortic valve that is not working properly. And we really need to get you downtown to trauma as soon as possible. So you're going to go by ambulance. And we're going to get you there because they've got to take care of you. Man, I, I've, been, I've been healthy all my life. I mean, I, I'd never had any kind of surgery. I had a, a knee operated on one time, but it was scoped, you know, just from injuries, sports injuries. But I'd never been in the hospital. I'd never been through anything like this. And what do you do when you're facing something you had no idea? You never dreamed you would be walking through that kind of an experience. Well, that's the way it was for Jehoshaphat. And he didn't know what to do. And neither did I. But I learned something from his story. And it began to be lived in my life in those days. When they loaded me in the, in the ambulance, these, these guys were so nice. They said, Pastor, we're going to... We're going to take you, I forget whatever the term is they use, and we're going to go real fast down I-4. We're going to have the sirens going, we're going to have lights going, and we're going real fast. And I'm thinking, yes, I've always wanted to go fast down I-4. Here's my chance. And oh boy, we did. And I felt every bit of I-4. And we get there, and we get in the trauma room, and they get me checked in, and Rachel and I are sitting there, and in walks this young lady. And she said, hi, I'm Dr. Walker. I'm a heart surgeon here. I came to join this team in February. And I'll be the one doing your heart surgery. I'm like, heart surgery? And she said, you have a problem with your, your valve in the aorta. And you also have an enlarged aorta. Which is probably because the valve hadn't been functioning. And then she said, I have a feeling that you have what is called a bicuspid valve. A bicuspid means you have two flaps working. You're supposed to have three. You're supposed to have a tricuspid valve in the aorta. And she said, you were born this way. 
It's nothing you did. It's just that your heart has too. And a lot of times athletes will, will not notice it early, but then it'll catch up with them because the more it works, the harder it works, the, the quicker it wears out. And it was, you know, has to notice which is kind of a calcification of the valves. And, and they explained it to, it was either this lady or another doctor said, you're supposed to have a, what looks like a Mercedes symbol in that valve. So you have three flaps. But I guess I was Chevrolet or something. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough to be a Mercedes. And um, she said, but I'll go in and, and I'm going to put a valve in and I'm going to replace your aorta with a material called Dacron, just like taking a garden hose and patching it with, a, with another type of hose. She said, it'll be Dacron and then I'll sew that valve in and we'll get you fixed up. And she said, now I'll have, to, I'll have to cut you and I'll have to spread your, your rib cage out. And I'm thinking, I got broken ribs, five of them. She said, I know you got five broken ribs and it's not going to be real comfortable, but we got to get this done. And I just look at her, what do you say to that? She said, you got any questions? And Rachel and I are sitting there like, Rachel said the whole time she's looking at her hands. I mean, literally wanted to look at her hands because she's thinking, this woman is going to have my husband's heart. In her hands and she said I noticed she had really long fingers and she says I think that's good you know so she can do whatever she's got to do let me tell you come to find out that woman was like an angel that God positioned here she trained at John Hop Johns Hopkins she trained at Dartmouth she's double board certified in vascular surgery as well as thoracic surgery and she said, I was I'm from Florida. I was in a wreck once. Flipped my car several times on the turnpike. And she said, I know what it's like to go through pain. I know what it's like that when you're in a situation like this. And she said, one of the things that I'm going to tell you, I don't like my patients to be in pain. And I'm going to do everything I can to take care of you. And we began to talk to her about her life. The first visit was an hour and a half long. And as we talked to her, we talked about the Lord. We talked about how I, be I believe God placed her here for me. And that God was going to use her to help accomplish my healing. And let me tell you, it was unbelievable how God had her there. And God had already prepared this moment. So basically, she said, I want to put a valve in that's, that's made from the pericardium of a cow. She said, I said, I don't get a pig valve. She said, no. You don't get a pig valve, and you don't get a mechanical unless you want it. But I think you ought to go with that. And I said, absolutely. So I can work for Chick-fil-A one day, hold up a sign, eat more chicken, save the cows. <laughs> we need their heart, I guess. But she said, I will do everything I can to take care of you. Well, let me tell you what's happened. Rachel and Dr. Walker text often. She watched the first Sunday I came back to the pulpit at the John Young campus. She watched between surgeries. And she sends me a text and she said, I was watching you today. And she said, I laughed and I cried and something in me, something happened in me. And I'm going to tell you all something. That I'm not telling you this to repeat it a lot, but it's just something I think is really cool what God's doing. She said, I'm going to ask you a question and, and I want, she said, it's kind of weird and it's kind of strange, but could I come to your house and have dinner with you and your wife? She said, because there's something I want to talk to you about. 
that's going out in me. And I firmly believe that God is preparing her, that God is stirring in her. And so what I'm telling you is that in a year that I wish would hurry up and end, God may be doing his greatest work. In a year and in a season and an incident that I wish had never happened, God is moving and God is working. And when I think of Jehoshaphat, the king, when he's standing there and he gets this news that there are three armies coming against him and he's really in deep weeds, I want to show you the truths that the Lord gave me through his story that have helped me and become a part of my story. Number one, when you don't know what to do, look at him. When you don't know what to do, look at him. The scripture says that that's exactly what, I, what Joseph had said in the moment. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Because when you look at him, you remember who he is and you remember what he's done. I can't tell you how many moments laying there in that hospital bed. I had to wait a week before the surgery. I was in the hospital a week, and then we had the surgery, and I was there another week. I remember laying there and rehearsing what God had done for me. And I remember thinking how blessed I was. And I just, I never had the thought of why me. Actually, I had the thought, why not me? Because God's been good to me. And I remember the day, I kind of went back in my mind the day he saved me and the day he called me. I thought about our wedding and the day that I met Rachel. I thought about the time when we came here and the Lord spoke to us as a family and we moved here. I just began to rehearse the things that God had done for me in the past. And let me show you what I learned. That's exactly what happens in the opening verses of chapter 20. He remembers all the things God's done for him. And let me tell you why. You've got to do that. Because our hope for the future is in God's faithfulness in the past. Because God has been faithful in the past, then I know he's going to be faithful in the days to come. So has God ever done anything good for you? Has he ever answered a prayer? Has he ever blessed you? Has he ever changed your life? Has he ever brought anything good in your life? Well, then God can do it again. And Jehoshaphat remembered that. The second truth, when the struggle is bigger than you, look to him, okay? The first one was, when you don't know what to do, look at him. Now, when you are in a struggle that's bigger than you, look to him. And let me, let me show you why. The scripture says, the prophet spoke to, to him and said, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde coming against you. The battle is not yours, but is God's. It's not yours. I'll go on and read another verse, verse 17. You won't need to fight in this battle. Just stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. In other words, when that struggle that you're in is bigger than you, look to him because he's fighting for you. He's got you. The battle is not yours. Did you know that occurs 
Three times in the Old Testament, he tells his people, the battle is not yours. I got this battle for you. The first one was when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And remember, he got to the Red Sea, and the army's coming. The Egyptians are coming, and and there's the Red Sea in front of him. He doesn't know what to do, and the Lord said, hold your peace, Moses. Stand. I will fight for you. Another time, David. A little shepherd boy, David. And he's standing in front of a giant, Goliath. And you know what David said to the giant? He said, this battle is not mine. This battle belongs to the Lord. And today, he's going to deliver you, meaning the giant, into my hands. Can I just tell you that when you're facing a giant, I want you to remember your God is already there fighting for you. He is there fighting for you, and he's bigger than whatever giant, whatever that issue is that you're in. And I can tell you, I rehearsed that. I thought about that. Man, all this that I'm going through, God, you're bigger than this, and and I know you got me. I don't know if you remember, there's a verse in Colossians 3 where Paul says we're hidden in Christ, that we are hidden in him. And one of, one of the ways that I've remembered that is from a little girl that was nine years old who had multiple surgeries in her fight against cancer. And when she would go into surgery, she would do this with her hand. She would take her hand, put her thumb in the palm, and then she would wrap up her fingers around her thumb. Now I want you to do that. Put your hand up. Your thumb is you. My thumb is me. Lay your thumb down in the palm. Wrap your fingers around it. Your fingers are God. Your palm is God. You are in Him. And I want to show you something else. Before anything can get to the thumb, it has to go by the fingers. Before anything comes into your life, it's already gone by Him. Randall James, who's with Jesus... One of my favorite people in the world. I was so blessed to get to serve with him for many years before he passed away. He used to say, our lives are father-filtered. Our lives are father-filtered. You know what that means? The father filters everything that comes your way. He knows before they ever come. So when you're in a struggle that's bigger than you, look to him. Because he's got you. And I can't tell you how many times in that hospital room. I mean, I always was a little nervous. I thought the the nurse might think I was making a fist. But I would do this. And sometimes I'd just lay it here. Sometimes I'd just hold it down here. But I would do that. Why? Because I wanted to remember. He's got me in the palm of his hand. The last thing. When you're in the struggle, look for him. When you are in the struggle, look for him because God's going to show you something. He's going to reveal himself. In fact, I say it this way. I think there are blessings that only come in the struggles and the valleys that we go through. In other words, if you had not gone through that valley or that struggle, you would not have learned that about him. It's in those valleys you learn so much about him. So look for him. And here's what happened in the text. God said, I want you to trust me. And he told him exactly what to do. 
And when this story ends, the enemy had been routed. I mean, literally routed. And the Lord said, now go pick up the spoil. Go pick up what's left and lying all across the valley. Remember, there's three armies. And it says they picked up the gold, the silver, the precious jewels. Took them three days. Three days to pick up all that stuff. In every valley you go through, there's gold. In every valley you walk through, every struggle, there's silver. And there's precious jewels. There's lessons that you learn in that struggle. And let me tell you one of them. Your testimony is magnified in the struggles. Your testimony. The scripture says that literally the fear of God, I'm reading verse 29, the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Think about it. Fear went out everywhere because they heard what God did for his people. You don't realize it, but when you're going through something, people are watching you. And they're seeing God in you. They're seeing God do things in you. What I've learned about this is a simple statement. Everybody wants a testimony, but nobody wants the test. Everybody wants a testimony, but nobody wants the test. But it's in the test that your testimony really shines. You know what I, what I kind of walked out of? The hospital thinking, I will never again take for granted somebody else's struggle. In other words, I'll never be bored with somebody telling me they've been through a surgery or they've been through a health crisis or they've walked through something. You know why? Because now I understand. And I just believe there are people that are watching you that are blessed by you. I, I, I know there are people in this room. I would not embarrass them at all, but I know one of them in this room right now. It's been through one of the hardest things you could ever go through in the loss of family. And yet she's here tonight and she's worshiping. And I won't ever take for granted people like that. So just remember, when you are in that struggle, look for him. Because he may be taking your story and your walk and he's magnifying his name. And others are seeing the glory of Jesus in you. Let me give you a second lesson. The power of praise. The power of praise. This is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible because we don't know of another time when this is actually uh, happens the way it did there. So they're getting ready to go into this battle in this valley. And the Lord tells them, go sing. Go into this battle singing. So how would you like to have been in that band rehearsal whenever you heard, okay, tomorrow the band's leading us in to battle. What about the guys with the weapons? Nope. You're going to sing. You know there's power in praise. Do you realize what happens when you sing to the Lord, when you worship God? There's something that happens. These people literally sang one thing. It says they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And look at the verse. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the three armies, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Do you know what the word routed means? It means they were blown away. They weren't, it wasn't even a contest. They got whipped hands down. 
And guess how he did it? This is crazy. They turned on each other. They actually turned on each other and destroyed one another. And Israel never did anything but sing a song. They never did anything but praise the Lord. They never picked up a weapon, a bow, a sword, nothing. And they praised the Lord and God delivered them. Let me tell you what Rachel and I did in moments before we went into the surgery. Rachel was there. It was early in the morning. Surgery was on a Monday. And she took her phone, and we had picked some songs that just really were beautiful worship songs to help us worship. And she just started those and laid that phone on the bed by me, and we just worshiped. And those were the last songs and last things I remember before I went into surgery was we worshiped. Because let me tell you what worship is about. You don't worship because life is good. You think it was good when they're standing there in the valley and they got three armies about to destroy them? No, life's not good. You worship because God is good. You worship because He is good. And I'm about to go into surgery and have my chest cracked open. And I'm more worried about the ribs still. But I'm about to go into surgery and I'm singing. Because what's cool about worship is it takes your focus off of the stuff and gets your focus on Him. And so for me, the lesson of the power of praise and what it does, and I just want you to remember that in this year when everything is so unusual and different, let's sing. You know what they ended up doing that day after this? They ended up renaming the valley. Next time I go to Israel, and I hope to go next year, I'm just praying God will let me do that. I want to go to this valley. Do you know what they named it? They renamed the valley this day, and it says until today it's been called this. It's the Valley of Barakah. Barakah. Now, I think we got it up here on the screen. Barakah. That means praise the Lord. The place where I praise the Lord. It doesn't mean where the Lord blessed me. No, it's where I blessed Him. Barakah. So you know what I'd love to do? I would love to rename 2020. I don't want to call it 2020 anymore. I want to call it the year of Barakah. The year we learned to praise the Lord. The year I learned so much. And I learned to praise Him. And I'll tell you how you do it. Look at him. Look to him. And look for him. And sing. I was in that hospital rehearsing stories. Things that, you know, had happened in my life. But just stories I remember that maybe were meaningful to me. And one of them was a story I heard at a pastor's conference by Dr. Charles Stanley. And by the way, Dr. Stanley called me last week. To, to give me his greetings and, and let me know he was praying for me. Dr. Stanley told us about going to First Baptist Atlanta as the pastor. And there was a whole bunch of people there that didn't want him there. It was a real tough season early on. It was really hard for him because there were a lot of people in that church that did not want him to be their pastor. And he said in the middle of it, there was a, a call that came in one day. And it was from a little lady that was sweet as she could be, a widow lady that wanted Dr. Stanley to come by her house. Well, he, as you can imagine, Dr. Stanley doesn't make house calls. But he felt unusually impressed that he needed to go see this lady. And so he did. 
And he said, I went to her house and I walked in. She was very kind to me, very gracious. All she did was say, Dr. Stanley, come here. I want to show you something. And said she called him Charles. She said, Charles, look at that painting. And it was one of those paintings, and you've, you've seen it. It was Daniel in the lion's den. And, you know, you got Daniel, and he's praying, and you got lions all around. And she said, what do you see in that? And so Charles Stanley said he started describing the picture, you know, there's lines, there's Daniel praying and all this. And she goes, you still don't see it, do you? And he described more and she said, no, you, you, you just don't see it. She said, Charles, where's Daniel looking? And in the painting, and you've probably seen pictures like it, he's looking through a window to the God of the heavens and the earth. And Charles says, well, he's looking at the Lord. She said, he's not looking at the lines, is he? No. And then she looked at him and said, Charles, stop looking at the lions. And you look at the Lord. And he said, it's one of the greatest lessons he's ever heard. Can I just tell you to stop looking at the lions? Stop looking at all this craziness of 2020. And let's call it Barakah. The time, the place where we learn to look at Him and to praise the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.